Welcome to the Provider Trauma and Moral Injury episode, which is part of the Podcast Plus series, The Pandemic's Impact on the Care We Provide. The Podcast Plus allows you, the learner, an opportunity to learn more about today's subject by participating in a WebEx discussion group, a journaling club, and an electronic journaling session. Look for more information about those sessions in the show notes. In today's episode, we are joined by Dr. Ware Swamer, licensed clinical psychologist and forensic examiner, and Leanna Harris, nurse practitioner with trauma, general, and vascular surgery. Before we turn things over, let's go over some important CME announcements. This episode has been accredited for AMA PRA Category 1 credits. For detailed accreditation and designation information, along with disclosure information, please visit the show notes. This information can also be found on our website, www.centera.com forward slash physician education, as well as reaching us by email at physicianeducation at centera.com. Now here's the team. Well, good morning. My name is Leanna Harris, and I am a trauma and general surgery nurse practitioner at Centera Virginia Beach General Hospital. And I have been taking care of critically ill and injured patients for over 20 years, um, first as a registered nurse and then as a nurse practitioner. My name is Ware Zwamer. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and forensic examiner with a over 30 years of experience and practice. But first, I was a child psychologist. And in that context, I was introduced to trauma, the trauma of children who have been abused sexually, physically, or in some ways, most tragically abused by the conflicted divorce of their parents. After 9-11, I joined the Tidewater EMS Critical Incident and Stress Management Team, working with first responders who encountered some particularly terrible incident in the course of their work. Throughout, I've served healthcare providers and their families in in treatment. My interest in in moral and ethical issues began about 15 years ago. I've been lecturing to clinical and legal audiences about uh, about ethics at the interface of psychology and law. And in the recent years, I've had the opportunity to interact with and even co-present with the author of a book, um, Moral Resilience, Transforming uh, Moral Suffering in Healthcare. So it feels as though a great number of things have brought me to this moment. So Dr. Zwamer, what are the conditions in healthcare and in the pandemic in particular that have given rise to post-traumatic stress symptoms and moral injury in clinicians? Leanna, please call me where... Both conditions, post-traumatic stress symptoms and moral injury, arise from what are actually adaptive and self-protective systems that we have developed to protect our physical and our moral integrity. For PTSD or PTSS, it's a system that we all know, fight, flight, freeze, Uh, but it is a system that increases our autonomic arousal and constricts our our field of focus when confronting some physical threat. For moral injury, that occurs when we are in situations which ignore or countermand our moral compass, our ethical navigation system, such that we are part of a situation that we believe is wrong. 
Post-traumatic stress symptoms generally begin with horror, with fear, or situations of desperate loss. Moral injury comes from the awareness that we have been some part of a morally unjustifiable harm. It's often recognized in retrospect. It is not something that we recognize or appreciate at the moment, but often afterwards. So recently, we've heard a lot about burnout amongst clinicians. How are post-traumatic stress syndrome and moral injury different from burnout? Well, burnout is a psychological condition that's characterized by emotional exhaustion, cynicism, and generally a loss of sense of personal agency or accomplishment. It's predicted by some of the same factors, the same circumstances that tend to promote trauma and moral suffering. It generally comes out of overwork, a low sense of control in our work setting, some value incongruence um, or a lack of social support. But burnout tends to be the result of an accumulation of these factors over time and not the result of sort of an immediate assault. There seems to be little question that burnout has increased in the context of the pandemic, but it was common beforehand. Even pre-COVID, it was estimated that one in three clinicians was suffering burnout. What's important to recognize is that post-traumatic stress and moral injury occur under extraordinary circumstances. It is not random that both these conditions were first recognized in the context of of the military and war. And the analogy actually to combat doesn't seem too far from the truth in regards to healthcare workers uh, during the pandemic. Leanna, can you speak to some of the experiences either you have had or you have heard from your colleagues that talk to that? Sure. Where there were several things actually Um, Early on in the pandemic, it was more about the concern about limited PPE. Were we going to have enough masks and gowns and gloves to protect ourselves and other patients? Uh, When we had just this huge influx of patients, we were working with limited staff because our hospitals were so crowded. Then we had the unknown aspects of the virus. When it was brand new, we had little information until the researchers really dug in there. So we weren't quite sure how it was transmitted, you know, how we could limit it. And those factors were were very distressing. During the peaks that we experienced, particularly at Virginia Beach General Hospital, just the sheer volume of patients, half of our census at one point was COVID positive. Uh, so there were just droves of patients coming in with the virus. We had ongoing staffing shortages. Everybody was working long hours, extra shifts. It was just very taxing, both mentally and physically, on all of us. The severity of the COVID illness really did not discriminate. We had very young patients. We had very old patients. We had everything in between. We had patients that were otherwise healthy. We had patients with laundry lists of medical problems and COVID affected all of those. There was no discrimination on who the virus attacked and who it did not. I think the most significant distressing part of the whole pandemic has been the toll that it takes on the families. 
We had some very strict visiting hours. Actually, we limited visits. We had no visitors unless it was a person with a significant disability or a minor. Visitors were not allowed into our hospitals. And it wasn't just our COVID patients. It was our surgical patients. Patients couldn't have their family members and their support systems there when they were having major surgeries. And it's hard enough to deal with the stressors when caring for sick and injured patients in a typical setting. But the austere conditions of the pandemic have really forced us into a completely different context that we had never experienced before. And I think that's the point for post-traumatic stress, for moral injury. It depends, they both depend upon the context that we cannot understand either of those conditions outside of the circumstance in which they arise. Post-traumatic stress and um, moral injury represent predictable, almost inevitable reactions to extraordinary circumstances. They are not the product of limited skills or of vulnerable character in people. Yeah, and that's a really good point where, you know, as clinicians, we go into the practice of medicine to help people, to care for people. And I think there's this sense that we have uh, an increased amount of resilience because of that. But how would a clinician know if they were really struggling with post-traumatic stress or moral injury? For post-traumatic stress, the hallmark characteristics are just this elevated state of readiness that people become hypervigilant, they become anxious, they become watchful, they have an exaggerated startle response. There also is this avoidance of situations and thoughts that are associated with that trauma. There can be the numbing or amplification of emotional reactions. But the most telling characteristic of PTSD is the re-experiencing of that traumatic event as though it were happening now. And that can occur in nightmares or it can occur in flashbacks during the day or just momentary spells in which it is as though those events are occurring again. And that has to do with how traumatic experiences are encoded into our brain. They are encoded in their sort of raw sensory form, where for for most of our experience, we translate it ultimately into a narrative. And it is in that way that it is, is stored away. For moral injury, perhaps the defining characteristic is shame. And with it comes a fear of exposure. With moral injury, often people lapse into a sense that they are an immoral person and that living in an immoral world. There can be a suppression of sort of the moral compass, and that can be a numbing or at its worst, something called moral disengagement. It also can lead to a sort of excitation of that morality and come out in moral outrage and righteous indignation. What the two have in common, and there certainly is overlap, they both tend to be associated with guilt. There's often a sense of betrayal, either by the self or by the system, that generally there is some somatic embodiment of that trauma or of that injury, that somehow we store it in our body, usually sleep impairment, often a pattern of self-medicating. People may feel depression, 
and despair, and they tend to become even less focused on self-care. I suspect many in the audience listening to this today can resonate with those attributes. All, if not some of those, certainly we've all felt. One of the most common fears was taking this virus home to our families. The fact that we could infect our family members with something that we know um, is so fatal is a very real fear. There were providers that I knew personally that chose to isolate from their families. One particular physician rented a room down at the oceanfront for almost six months and completely isolated from his family out of fear of transmitting it back to them. You know, he was on the front lines taking care of these very, very sick patients. And, you know, that leads me into another aspect. We saw these patients dying every day. There were patients literally dying every day. That just took such a toll on us. You know, you saw the people on TV where families were only seeing each other through windows. They were having drive-by birthdays. So that social aspect, you know, of being part of a family and part of a community was completely destroyed. So when we're dealing with all of that, where, what do we do uh, and how do you process that? It's very, very challenging. Even before speaking to what we as individuals can do, it's important to recognize that in our promoting individual strategies to prevent or reduce the impact of trauma, of moral compromise, it is not to say that it relieves the healthcare system from doing what it can. Leanna, it remains the responsibility of the system to within its power to create as psychologically and morally safe a workplace as they can, a place where individuals can raise their moral or safety concerns without fear of retribution. And it remains the system's role to promote an ethical community where the opportunity or exposure to, uh, exposure to moral injury is less likely to occur. But it's not an either-or thing. It is not either the individual or the system, but it is both. Nor is it really an us-versus-them circumstance. I know any number of healthcare leaders who have suffered who feel powerless, who have lost sleep in the context of this pandemic. And often some of what may have been inelegant or seemingly unempathic responses to the front line have come from their own fear, from their own stress, from their own psychological defenses. But in terms of our own capacity to deal with these circumstances, the first truth uh, for both post-traumatic stress and moral injury is that we have to redefine our relationship to the event that caused it. For trauma, that involves changing what is that raw sensory experience into, in, again, into a narrative, like uh, we hold most of our memories. For moral injury, that means more to contextualize that moral compromising event, that to recognize that whatever we did or we did not do happened at a specific time under specific circumstances, and that neither speak to our whole moral character or the morality of the world. 
For either of these translations to occur, though, we have to reconnect. We have to reconnect to ourselves and we have to reconnect to others, to our peers, to our families, and potentially to therapeutic resources. And I think a lot of us are working towards that as the pandemic, you know, goes through its ups and downs where we'll have surges with a lot of patients and then we'll, you know, be on the down slide where there's fewer patients. I think we've all worked really hard, especially during those rough times to, to do that, to regain a sense of self and really start to process what we have been through, what we're going through and what we've yet to go through. Something we really haven't touched on is the controversial topic of vaccination. At this point in the pandemic, the science proves that the vaccine's effective, yet we're seeing the majority of our critically ill patients are unvaccinated. This really compounds the moral distress and injury uh, when we know we're dealing with a preventable disease. And so, for example, most recently passing through the ICU and there was a family gathered outside a room where their elderly father, unvaccinated, was was dying uh, from COVID. And I just couldn't help think, you know, this didn't have to happen. This patient didn't have to die. This family didn't have to lose their father. And that alone just brought back all of those feelings, all of that distress that I felt like I had dealt with previously. So what else is there? What else can we do? Leanna, you know, each resolution that we come to will be an individual resolution. What is quite easy in that circumstance is to lapse into moral outrage. Moral outrage is not without its value. Anger has benefits. Anger can energize us. Anger can potentiate us, give us a sense of greater control over the circumstance. But it also uh, carries some real risks, particularly in that circumstance, because in that moment, if you are treating that patient and your moral outrage comes out, you run the risk of creating another moral compromise, another circumstance where you did not provide the care that you would have and could have under different circumstances. To the extent that you can, it's important to recognize that that patient and their family are imperfect human beings as well. And their decisions are guided by the same fears, stresses, and defenses as our own. In terms of other things that we can do when it comes to distress and moral injury, traumatic stress. I was uh, much more confident about many things when I was younger. I am less skeptical in my older years. I now believe that there's a real value to body work, and that can come in in many forms. Uh, That can come in the form of massage, of acupuncture, acupressure, yoga, tai chi, we tend, particularly we in healthcare, tend to remain in our heads a lot. And yet our trauma and our moral injuries, we place, we find somewhere in held in our bodies. And so interventions that help us release it from that site, I think are essential. It is helpful to journal because as we write things out, we take them, those thoughts and those ruminations out of the sort of rock tumbler of our own thoughts, 
and put them somewhere outside of ourselves so that we can look at them. And finally, counseling, whether it is with a therapist, a life coach, a pastor, can be essential. The added benefit of working with a counselor, though, is that not only does it take those thoughts out of our mind and put them in some space sitting between us and the counselor so that we can look at them, but we also have an impartial set of eyes to help assess what they mean. Any number of forms of self-stewardship are essential to maintaining our psychological and our moral integrity, despite the time and the energy that the pandemic demands of us, those tasks are actually even more important. What's important to to recognize is while we can and should petition the system to make changes that support us, ultimately the only person that we have any control over in this world is ourselves. Thank you for joining us and be on the lookout for the next episode of the Podcast Plus series. As a reminder, read today's show notes for the link to register for this topic's WebEx discussion group, journal club, and electronic journaling sessions, as well as claiming your continuing education credits. Well, that's it for now, but we'll be back soon with another episode of Vital Signs, a podcast for Sentara providers, the podcast that provides evidence-based education programs for physicians and healthcare providers on the go.